0: I have a problem this morning, something that began under the radar, something that I didn't initially know was a problem. In fact, it's something I didn't initially notice at all. But over the years, this problem has grown. And this is a problem that I share more than likely with most of you in this room, whether you know it or not. This is a problem that has grown to epidemic proportions in our culture and yet is excused by most of us and even celebrated by some of us. The problem is frenetic busyness. If you're not familiar with the term frenetic. That's okay. It simply means fast and energetic in a rather wild and uncontrolled way. And we all know what busyness means. Frenetic busyness means busyness that doesn't seem to stop. Busyness that leaves little time for rest. Busyness that consumes our lives and leaves us running from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Always run down, always feeling behind, always feeling like we're just sliding by, kind of pasting things together at the last second. Now to be sure, busyness is not necessarily a bad thing. There are times when busyness can be a very good thing. But frenetic busyness is usually the sign of a much deeper problem. And just to be brutally honest, I am afraid in my own life, over the years, I have allowed myself to become frenetically busy. And again, I don't think that I'm alone in that. In fact, over the past, I would say, maybe half dozen or ten years or so, I've noticed a subtle change. And maybe you've noticed it too. It used to be that when you would ask someone, how are you, the most common response was fine or good. Or maybe for the more literally astute, I'm well. But... Over the years, I've noticed that that has gradually changed. Instead of fine or well or good, it is now somewhere in that answer will be the word busy. Really good, just, man, busy. Or we're busy, but doing well. Or life's going good. Yeah, we're busy, but but doing good. In fact, I can't remember the last time someone responded to my question, how are you, with, you know, I'm not very busy. (laughs) I don't have much going on. You know, I've had really good times of rest and work. I've had really good times of reflection and productivity. And judging by the fact that you just laughed, you have probably not experienced anyone answer your question like that either lately. So my hypothesis this morning is that most of us are frenetically busy. Especially coming off this last month, right? And whereas frenetic busyness is almost accepted as a standard occupational hazard for most of us in North America, this morning I wanna challenge that default belief. I want to, in fact, suggest this morning that our frenetic busyness is dangerous and is not the way we glorify God best. In fact, I want us to see that scripture offers a better pattern for managing the pace of our life. I want us to see, in fact, that we are called to steward our time and energy just as we are called to steward our financial resources. So, if you would, grab your Bible and open with me to Mark chapter 1. And if this morning, as you're turning to Mark chapter 1, you were thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were going to get back to Luke. We've been going through Luke for over a year now. We will get back to Luke. Let not your heart be troubled. This morning, we're going to take a side trail, and then next week, we'll get back to Luke. This is something I think that's important for us to address. This topic has been something our elders have been discussing thought it would be important to address as well. As we pick up in Mark chapter one, Jesus has recently begun his earthly ministry. And Mark, our author, gives us the central theme of Jesus's ministry in verses 14 and 15, which read, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now this was the core of Jesus' ministry in two verses. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, so repent and believe in the gospel. Now, it's important for us to remember that that's at the heart of Jesus' mission. Because as we get into our text this morning, we will see that that mission faces opposition. And our central text is verses 35 through 38. The word of the Lord says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. This text has always fascinated me. I mean, here is Jesus; he is at the beginning of his earthly ministry. He has come to preach the gospel. Jesus has come to call people to repent and believe the gospel, which in and of itself requires people. Right? Like we would assume, then, that the more people, the better. That bigger crowds mean that more people can hear the gospel, which means that potentially more people will repent and believe. Now add to that the fact that more time spent preaching to the crowds ought to result in more people repenting and believing in the gospel. The more you preach, the more you share, the more you speak the gospel, the more likely it is that someone will respond, right? So this is striking, and odd that Jesus would get up while it is still early, while it's still dark, Mark tells us, and go out alone and pray. But it's even more odd that when Peter tells Jesus, hey, there you are, everybody's looking for you, that Jesus doesn't respond and say, okay, great, tell them to come here, or great, Take me to where they are, but in fact, Jesus responds in verse 38 Let us go on to the next town, for that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) wait, Jesus, like this is the mission, right? You're going to miss out on an opportunity of a ready made group of people who are primed. I mean, they're already. Searching for you. You don't have to draw a crowd. You don't have to try to get people interested in listening. They already want to hear you preach. And you're going to walk away? In fact, to some of us, this whole narrative in verse 35 through 38 seems like a colossal wasted opportunity. But here's where our thinking needs to bend and conform to the truth of Scripture, not the other way around. We know that Jesus accomplished everything that the Father had given him. In fact, in Jesus' prayer, shortly before being arrested and crucified, he prayed to the Father in John 17, verse 4, and he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Let me say that again. Jesus, praying shortly before his rest, praying to the Father, said, I glorified you on earth, Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So the way that Jesus glorified the Father was by accomplishing the work, and he did so. He accomplished all the work that the Father gave him to do. Jesus accomplished everything the Father had given him to do. Even though here in Mark 1 he walks away from the crowd. Even though he takes time away to pray. Even though he doesn't do everything he could do. He does everything he needs to to do, to fulfill the mission of the Father. And that's really bewildering to us, isn't it? Because we don't often think like this. It's like Philip, remember, in Acts, when there's a revival happening in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, the capital city, The gospel is breaking out. People are believing. And then the Holy Spirit leads Philip to go out into the desert by himself. What is up with that? And so in John chapter 5 verse 30, Jesus tells an angry group of Jewish leaders He says to them, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. And then later in John chapter 6, Jesus again tells the crowd, I have come down from the Father not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, to review, Jesus' mission was to do the will of the Father in heaven. And it is the will of the Father in heaven that Jesus lose none of those who the Father gives to him, rather guards them and raises them up when he returns, because it is the will of the Father that everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ will be saved. And yet, and yet... Jesus regularly took time away from the crowds to go and pray. And after a busy day of ministry, he even tells his disciples in Mark 6:31, to come away with him and rest, to take some time off. Like Jesus did not heal everyone who was sick. Jesus did not preach to everyone who came looking for him. He passed up opportunities to teach and minister. And even though he took time away and he took time to rest and he didn't do everything he could do, he still completely accomplished everything the Father had given him to do. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want to be like Jesus. I want to accomplish everything that the Father wants me to accomplish. But the problem is I often get distracted by what could be done and miss out on what's important. And my guess is just maybe you do too. all too often we can be like Martha from Luke 10.38 and we can become distracted with much serving. Distracted with much that is really good and miss out on that which is primary because we become frenetically busy with good things to the point at which we have little time or energy for the essential. Now maybe you are thinking to yourself, "Okay, guilty as charged." So I am crazy busy, but I'm also not God in the flesh, and I'll never be like Jesus. That's Jesus; He's unique, and you are 100% right. You will never be like Jesus completely, and yet we are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, work called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We are called to reflect Jesus to those around us. And we are sent out by Jesus as his ambassadors with his Holy Spirit inside of us, which means our life ought to reflect the pattern of Jesus' life. So how do we do that in this frenetically busy world? How do we do that? I want to point out just a few things from the text. If you're keeping score this morning, there'll probably be three points maybe. We'll see how far we get before one o'clock or so. First, notice in verse 35 that Jesus gives primary attention to communing with the Father. Jesus gives primary attention to communing with the Father. I chose communing even though spell check was like, what is that? I know it's an older word. But it's a good word because communing means more than just communication. and It means more than just fellowship. It also means enjoying the company of. Jesus gives primary attention to communing with the Father. Just look at verse 35. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. So very early, before the needs of the day were pressed on him, Jesus got away to pray to the Father. And this wasn't the only time. In fact, we see later in the middle of the pressing needs of ministry all around him, Luke records for us in Luke 5.15, but now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities, right? Crowd gathering, To hear him preach the gospel of the kingdom of God and to be healed of their infirmities. But, Luke tells us, Luke 5 16, Jesus would, implied regular habit, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. There it is again. Lots of needs. A crowd gathers, hungry to hear and be healed. And what does Jesus, the holy, perfect son of God, do? He withdraws and he prays. Time with the Father was and is most important, and so he would withdraw and pray, withdraw and pray. I mean, do you feel like you can withdraw and pray? Maybe you don't feel like you can withdraw and pray because you don't feel like you have the bandwidth to withdraw and pray. There's too much going on in our lives, too many moving parts. The schedule is too full to get away and pray. And so we never know what it's like when someone texts us and asks us to pray for them to actually stay. Stop what we're doing for five or 10 or 15 minutes and pray. And maybe we just kind of under our breath breathe a little prayer in the car. Just kind of pray for someone, which is is good and meaningful. But we don't know what it's like to actually stop in the middle of our day, in the middle of our activity to pray. Or we don't know what it's like when we recognize an urgent need to actually change our plans right in the middle of the day to be more available for a friend. We don't because we can't because we're frenetically busy already. It's interesting just this week, I've been able to study the time habits of Americans in the last 100 years and been able to look at things and articles and studies and surveys. It's, it's striking that overall in North America, the time required for sustaining life is at an all-time low, meaning throughout the history of the world, the time required to sustain life, things like hunting food and gathering food and growing food and preparing food and building shelter and maintaining shelter, right? Like the time to do all of those kinds of things is at an all-time low, which should mean our time for freedom, for serving, for ministry, for rest, for communing with the Father, right? should be at an all-time high, right? But that's not the case. You know that that's not the case in your own life because we are busier now than ever. Something like the microwave that a couple of generations ago was supposed to buy us more time only provided more time to give to something else, and it isn't normally time to withdraw and pray time for personal worship. I'm just thinking the way that COVID has changed even our shopping habits. So where, you know, we have a family of six. So where it used to be, you know, an hour and a half or so a week at the grocery store, like we, we don't go to the grocery store anymore. Um, because you can just on your app, you know, have your regular order and you can buy it again and you can Pull up in front of Target or Kroger or wherever, and you open the back of your car, and someone brings it out and puts it in, and off you go, which has bought us what? Like six hours a month? Which you would think like six more hours to maybe withdraw and pray, or for family worship, or for ministry to those in our neighborhood, our community, or our church. I have no idea where that time went. It's gone. And maybe you can relate. And Maybe you're thinking to yourself, if I could free up some time to withdraw and pray, I would do so. But I can't because it feels weird to say no to things. Or it feels weird to not be busy all the time. Being busy seems like the norm. It, it feels weird. I don't feel like I have permission to not be busy all the time. Perhaps one of the reasons that we don't withdraw and pray is because how we, think of others, how we think others may think about us, how it's viewed, how the way our society thinks about busyness. Interesting this week in the Harvard Business Review, I read that busyness and a lack of leisure are more celebrated now in the media than ever before. One author writes, advertising, often a barometer of social norms, used to feature wealthy people relaxing by the pool or on a yacht, such as Cadillac's Only Way to Travel campaign in 1994. And yet today, those ads are almost universally replaced with ads featuring busy individuals who work long hours and have very limited leisure time. And so just 20 years later, Cadillac's Super Bowl ad in 2014 featured a busy and leisure-deprived businessman lampooning those who enjoy long vacations because that's not the way to live a successful life. This has led sociologists to say that we are seeing a shift in our society from leisure as a sign of status, right? You can think of the, the Crawleys of Downton Abbey fame who used to laugh and say, what's the weekend, right? Every day is a day of leisure. Leisure as status to busyness as status. For example, the Columbia Business School did research in 2016 with individuals wearing hands-free Bluetooth headsets, you know, the kind that go in your ear, which are seen in our society in North America as a sign of busyness and multitasking. That's what they're associated with. And they found that Individuals who wore those headsets into a mixed group of company sent a stronger signal about their social standing than those who went into that same group wearing a pair of over-the-ear headphones for music, which is a product associated with leisure and free time. Participants read a short description of a 35-year-old woman named Anne. The only variant was whether she was wearing a hands-free Bluetooth device in her ear or a pair of over-the-ear headphones for music. And as in previous studies that Columbia Business School conducted, they found that Ann was seen as having a higher status because she was wearing a Bluetooth rather than over-the-ear headphones because that was associated with multitask and a busy life, which are seen in our society as signs of success. So is it any wonder then that we feel Perhaps the pressure from those around us to not withdraw and pray, to not schedule times of family worship, to not celebrate downtime, not to do less. Rather feel the pressure to do more. And I think perhaps we see the same expectation of Jesus here in our text. In verse 36, Simon Peter and those who were with him find Jesus Verse 37, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And I think what they were saying is this, come on Jesus, the crowds are waiting. This is what you're wanting, this is what we want, this is success. What are you doing out here? Let's get back to work. We don't know to be fair that that's what they were thinking because that's not what they say, but it seems to be implied in what they say. They search for Jesus and they find him. They say, everybody's looking for you, implied. What are you doing out here? Did you know that Jesus felt the expectation that others had for him? Jesus had to deal with the pressure of what others wanted from him, what they thought that he should be doing. In fact, Jesus' Jesus's own siblings had expectations for him, which may be why they did not believe in him until much later. And we know what that's like, to feel the expectation of family or friends or coworkers or a boss or a parent or followers on Instagram. But friends, as strangers and aliens in this world, which is what the Bible says we as Christians are, we don't have to play by those rules. Like, our kids will be okay if they are not involved in every sport or extra, every extracurricular activity. Like, we will survive if we do not take on every additional task at work. Our friends will still care for us and still be our friends if we don't follow and like everything that they post, right? There are times that the laundry can wait and the grass can grow a little longer and the emails can be put off until tomorrow. Why? Because there's a hierarchy of things that are important, and what God expects of us comes first. Which brings us to our second theme this morning from the text, and that is that Jesus understood his mission. Jesus understood his mission. He responds to Peter and the others in verse 38 and says to them, let us go, and we might imagine to the crowd there and preach. Let us go to this group who's searching for me, but Jesus doesn't say that. He says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. We've already talked about this some, but it's worth repeating. The reason Jesus accomplished everything the Father had given him to do is because Jesus knew what it was the Father had given him to do. And the way he knew was because he had spent time with the Father. He had spent time in prayer. You see, time with the Father, for us, prayer and time in the Word leads to knowing the will of the father and the more we read and study his word the more we pray the more we understand his purpose for our life which is not too terribly unique from his purpose for other Christians lives it's that we glorify god that we enjoy him that we honor him that we practice the one another's that we bear fruit and the more we spend time with him the more we understand the mission that we are on and the reason he created us, which then frees us to say no, not only to that which is bad, but to that which is good, but impedes that primary mission. Like we know that work is good, but we can say no sometimes to adding an additional client or taking on an additional responsibility if it will hinder us from having the time and energy to love and care for our family and church family as we are called. We can say no to that extra house project that will tie up another evening and prevent us from having family worship with our kids. Now, to be clear, there may be times when we should take on that extra project at work or jump into something at home. But my point is that we should proactively determine the pace of our days rather than letting them slip past and only reactively lamenting about how busy we are. So this has been a really painful week for me as I have come face to face with areas that I need to grow. Because it is not okay that so many of us are frenetically busy. It's not okay that our default response when someone asks us how we are is busy. Like, not just busy, right? Busyness can be okay. Busyness can sometimes be good. But Like, the, the fatigue of, like, I can barely keep up. I don't have time for an interruption in my calendar an interruption in my day because I can right you you know what that's like we know what that's like and that's not okay and honestly so much of what makes the pace of life frenetic for us is not bad stuff it's not that most of us are hooked on like cable tv and you know watching youtube for 6 hours at a time Most of it is good stuff that has become too much, and truthfully, there will always be more good stuff we could do than we will ever have time to do, which means we need to give time and attention to how we spend our time, which I think is what Moses meant when he prayed in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I don't think what Moses was referring to was, Lord, teach me to know how many days I have left, because none of us know that, but rather teach me to number my days. Remind me over and over again that time is passing, that I might be wise, that I might get a heart of wisdom, which doesn't necessarily mean get more done, even if it's ministry things necessarily. See, I want a heart of wisdom, and maybe you do too. We want our lives and we want our church to reflect the statement of Jesus in John 17 that he accomplished all that the Father had given him. We want to make time to regularly be free to withdraw for prayer and scripture and have the margin that when someone says, hey, would you pray for me in a text message? Or when someone calls or when someone emails or when we see someone and they have a need or we recognize this, they might need a longer conversation, we're not thinking, okay, wait a minute, but I've got so many other things I have to get done. And we want to be able to give the best of our energy and brain power to those people and purposes that are most important, like our family, our church, our friends, and the gospel work of Jesus Christ which means we need to number our days. Jesus was the most important person to ever walk the earth. His mission was the most important. Like if he were here in the flesh on earth today, he would get more text messages and emails than any of us. Right? He would have more invitations, please come over for dinner, than any of us. He would have more requests for counseling than any of us. He would have more outside pressure exerted on his time than any of us because he did. And yet, he was never rushed and never frenetically busy and never behind schedule and never just trying to slide things together at the last minute. And he left no unfinished business. But instead, he had time for a lengthy, spur-of-the-moment conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. He had time at the last minute to go have dinner and party at the home of a tax collector named Zacchaeus. He had time to stop and heal a woman in the middle of attending to a ministry need who had a lifelong issue with blood. Because Jesus did not do everything he could do, but he fully accomplished everything the Father sent him to do. Which means we need to evaluate, Father, what am I here for? That would be a good way to begin or maybe end this 2021 studying in Scripture. and A good way to begin 2022. Father, what am I here for? Teach me from your word. We are here to glorify God. We are here to enjoy him. We are here to love the Lord Jesus Christ and celebrate our union with him. We are here to make disciples of all nations. We are here to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. We are here to make more God followers in our home and in the world. We are here to practice the one another in our home and in our church and in our community. We are here to let our lights so shine before others that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. That's what we're here for, and so much more from God's Word. And this is what we are here for. But here's the reality you have failed in your time management, and I have failed. And guess what? You will fail maybe even today, you'll get distracted. And certainly this week, all of us will. We won't perfectly follow the pattern of Jesus. But here's the good news, <laughs> the incredibly good news. Jesus fully accomplished all that the Father had given him. He perfectly accomplished everything the Father had given him. And guess what? All who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and the forgiver of our sins, not only have our sins forgiven, but we also have the perfection of Jesus applied to our cosmic credit score. So that when the Father goes to his grade book, he doesn't count our own shortcomings and failures in managing our life and time and priorities. Rather, he counts the perfection of Jesus in our place. This is what it means to be in Christ. It means that his death is our death and his resurrection is our resurrection and his perfection is our perfection, which frees us from the burden of just like trying to do more or trying to get it better or trying to get it right, which just leads to this unending like, okay, I'm gonna focus on getting my priorities and time management right at home. And so you really try to like, I'm gonna go all out and do that this week only to find out, it's like, Eternal whack-a-mole, right? Like, okay, I got that one nailed. And then all of a sudden you're like at work, everything's falling apart. Your job and community. And yet the gospel frees us to know that we can put our eyes on the mission that Jesus has given us. But when, not if, when we fail, our standing and approval before the Father doesn't change. That there is grace and mercy. And forgiveness for all of his children and this is our confidence even in a frenetically busy world where we won't get it all right there's one more thing because God is sovereign meaning all-powerful and in complete control, we can be sure that in the end there won't be any good work missing that we should have done. Like when you were a kid, right? And maybe your chore was to cut the grass and you knew you had to do that and then like dad came home and like there was a good work that was left undone because you failed to do it. In the kingdom of God, there. There will be no unfinished work due to our failure. Which does not mean we can grow apathetic. It doesn't mean we say, well, you know what? Because if I don't evangelize, no one is going to go unreached because I was too busy to go to the nations. We know that's not true. We know that God is sovereign. But it doesn't allow us to grow apathetic because we are commissioned by God to be about his work, to be on mission for him and with him. and there is incredible blessing in being used by God as his hands and feet and the way that God accomplishes his purpose in our world is through his people. And at the same time we can be free of the burden of continually asking like am I doing enough? What if I you know missed an opportunity yesterday to share the gospel with the waiter at the restaurant and now what if they never hear? because that's not our burden to bear. We're called to faithfulness. And even when it comes to the way we manage our time and relationships and priorities, we will fail. But God does not. And God is sovereign in everything he has set to accomplish and will to accomplish, he will accomplish. And for us, we can pursue Christ. we can pursue joyfully growing in Christ'-likeness, knowing that there is always enough time to accomplish everything God has laid out for us to accomplish. Like the things He has laid out for us to accomplish are not an impossible task. like don't require 32 hours in a day instead of 24. And yet when we fail, there is grace in Jesus and certainty that God is still on his throne. That in our frenetic world, that is a great place to land. And praise the Lord. His mercy is more, right? Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins and shortcomings and failures are great. His mercy is so much more. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.